Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it so much and appreciate those of you that are here. And I know, well, all the things I heard this morning on the prayer list, I didn't, some I didn't know about. And uh, I guess that would answer for quite a few that aren't here this morning. I'm glad that you were able to be here and participate in our service this morning. I really appreciate the testimony, uh, Brother Mike brought and Jerry concerning the funeral and something that he said struck me um, concerning his trip there and meeting all those folks in that church and the believers there and that was this word the common bond that he experienced you know you something you could feel and know was there You would turn to Matthew chapter 12. This is not the message at all. <clears throat> but I want to mention this, and I want you to see it as well. I know you're quite familiar with it, but nonetheless, I want us to take a look at this. Matthew chapter 12. I'm wait, I'll wait for the pages to quit rattling because I got there ahead of you. <clears throat> I already knew I was heading there, so. Some have Bibles and some don't, I guess. Okay, Matthew chapter 12 and verse uh, 46. And if you remember and are familiar with the structure of Matthew's gospel, you may well remember that by the end of chapter 12, in the presentation of the gospel of the kingdom to the nation of Israel, it had been rejected. And basically, officially rejected at this point. And so in chapter 13, the Lord begins a new uh, direction as far as his teaching and preaching goes. And that is, he says, he began to speak in parables. So at the conclusion of chapter 12, in verse 46, it says this, while he yet talked to the people. So you have to envision here a great crowd of people to which he was speaking. Behold, his mother and his brethren stood without. That is, his siblings, his mother and his siblings stood apparently on the outer circle of, the, of this group of people, and someone there recognized that they were there and desiring to speak with him. And then one said unto him, that is unto Jesus, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. And he answered and said unto them that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren, my brothers? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples. And so we see a distinction here between the people, the crowd itself, and the disciples. Those who had joined themselves to the Lord Jesus to be a follower of him. And he said in verse 50, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister, and mother. And it just struck me as uh, Mike was making those comments, I think sometimes how little we value the use of the word brother. And even John, made me think of John White and a study that he had on the word brethren and pointing up the distinctiveness of this word that brethren has to do or a brother in Christ has to do with one who has received the gospel that Jesus preached, that which he taught. So a true brother is one who has received this kingdom message, the gospel of the kingdom, has wholly embraced it. And I found myself... Because of that, being much more careful 
number one, about who I call a brother. But number two, the endearment of such a term and what it ought to mean when we call upon someone and call them a brother. I remember when I first I first committed my life to the Lord and began to go to church, and it was all such a new thing to me, and I, I was, you know, green, oh boy, talk about green in, in far as understanding the Bible, understanding Christianity, knowing anything about anything, what it meant to be in church or anything. And so I had been attending maybe, I don't remember now, but maybe a month or two. I can't, I can't really remember now. But I distinctly remember to this day, the first time one of the men in the church called me Brother Allen, and it just like hit me right there. And it, it meant so much to me. And I stand here and think today how much more you know, that ought to mean to people like you and I. And as Jerry was relating to us, within the group that we have here, and he mentioned about the common bond that we have here in this group. And so I just want you to know that I appreciate that, and I appreciate you, and it's my privilege and my joy to call you a brother or a sister in Christ. And I'm, I'm glad I'm able to do that. Okay, that's out of the way. I want us to turn, well... We'll get there in a second. I want to talk about a word or its derivatives today. I want to talk about the word chose or choose, chose and chosen. Words that are very, very common in the Bible. I didn't count them, but I suspect that in the Old Testament, remembering what I saw there, I'm going to say there were well over 200 references uh, to the word choose or chose or chosen. I haven't got to the New Testament yet. We'll deal with that later. And there are more than, as usual, or as is very common, there is more than one word that's translated chosen or choose. So there it even becomes a distinctive word in which we have to determine you know, what word is being used and what does it mean in the particular context. Now, we're going to deal today most, mostly with the most common word uh, for choose, and, but we'll take a look at a couple other words as well, and hopefully through that see a little bit of the distinction there, but also understand the value and importance of being chosen, what it means for God to choose. Now, if you was to just look in a, in a dictionary... I looked up in uh, the, actually not a dictionary, but the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. And this was their definition of the word choose. Choose and chosen. The words denote an act of comparison of two or more objects or persons, the preference and selection of one or a few out of a larger number for a certain purpose certain function, position, or a privilege. Now, those of you that have studied this um, gospel of the kingdom and you've studied the word choose or chosen or, as it's often translated, the elect, you understand that that means to be, you know, this idea of chosen, a few or one out of a larger number. And it has to do with the idea of comparison. That is to say, in looking over a group, or at, at the very minimal, two, God sees and he chooses. He selects. Now, one of the finest dictionaries you'll ever want to look at would probably be Webster's Dictionary of 1828. It's a dictionary that's uh, quite old, obviously, 1828. I wasn't around then. But the value of this dictionary is that the definitions or words that we use today, and most of the time, 
they are still used in the same context with the same meaning as they were in Noah's day. Not Noah the Bible, I'm talking about Noah Webster. Noah Webster's day, 1828, when his dictionary was published. You could almost call it a Bible dictionary. And here is his definition of the word choose. He says to pick out, to select, to take by way of preference from two or more things offered, to make choice of. He makes you think the guys that wrote the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia might have referred back to his dictionary. But probably not. They just simply knew the meaning of the Greek word. They, or the Hebrew word, rather. In this, and they knew how the word was being used in the scriptures. Secondly, to take in preference. To take in preference. That is, simply prefer one over another. To prefer, to choose for imitation or to follow, or to elect or choose for eternal happiness, to predestinate to life. Of course, if you understand, again, the word eternal there, meaning age-abiding or age-lasting life, you will catch the idea here of this choosing and what we are chosen to. And hopefully we'll, before we're done with this little study, we will, we will see that. <clears throat> and then I'll make a, a brief reference to the New Testament, simply because he does here, as a passage that relates to this, this last one, that to elect for eternal happiness. He says, uses Matthew uh, 22, 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. See, many are called, but a select few are actually the ones chosen. Well, we would want to answer the question, chosen to what? Well, he answered that in his definition, to choose for eternal happiness or age-lasting happiness. The Messianic Age. Now, another dictionary definition, just to give, make sure we realize or understand that we're consistent all the way through. Uh, this comes from the modern-day Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And it says there, to select freely and after consideration. That is, to ponder, to look upon whatever it is, and then to select or to choose. Then it says also uh, to have a preference for, to make a selection. So we get the idea of the word. To choose something. I see something and I make a choice, I make a preference over something else. And we've got several verses to look up, and I'm going to do my best to um, make it possible for you to look them up because I think it's important that we do so. And, I'll, we're going to, and I've categorized these based upon who is making the choice. So let's look at Genesis chapter 13, verse 11. And for the most part, these are going to go in order, although not exactly. So that will keep us from having to jump all over the place. We'll just make our way through the scriptures. And just some of these are going to be very um, mundane, I guess I should say, because they're very simple uses of the word. But nonetheless, it gives us the thought and the idea of choosing by preference. And here we have Lot, Lot making a choice. It says, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves, the one from the other. 
So he simply made, he looked upon the plain of Jordan and he had a preference for that. On, above all the other things that he compared in the land of Israel, that was his first choice. And so he chose. Now just turn over to Exodus, the 18th chapter. Exodus 18. In, in verse 25, Exodus 18, verse 25. And here we find Moses making a choice. And the ones I'm giving you here are all the same Hebrew word, by the way, until I, I'll let you know when we come to a different one. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people. Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And so we see once again here Moses making preference, choosing men for certain positions above others. That is, some were rulers of thousands. There wouldn't be as many of those. They were certain choice men that Moses chose to be a ruler over a thousand. And then he breaks it down to hundreds and then to fifties and then to tens. Kind of reminds you of the military or a business and the administration of a business. it's, It's broken down, categorized. And we hope From our perspective, at least, we hope we get the right people in the right positions. Of course, there's a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to establish his government over this earth. He is going to select people for positions in his government, and he's going to get it right the first time. He's going to pick exactly who he wants in every position, and it'll be a matter of preference. It will be his choosing based on the outcome of his judgment and how we've lived here and how we've presented ourselves before the Lord, how we walk before him in obedience to his word. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 18. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 18. I've got these on the computer here, but I decided, well, I'm going to look them up. That way I can maybe keep pace with everybody. I'm too tempted to go ahead and read. In verse 18, he says, And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. Now that word you, you could translate it, which you have chosen you yourselves or for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. And so here we have the the nation choosing. They chose a king. All right, now I'm going to skip a few here that I've got. We could look at several others here. Excuse me. One of the, I'll just briefly mention this because it occurs quite frequently, is that when you begin to move into the book of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you'll see this word chosen quite frequently because either David or Solomon or someone was choosing or Saul was choosing men to serve within his government. Once they had been chosen king, And just like our president-elect is now, he's choosing those who will fill certain positions in his administration. And hoping, of course, for our sakes, that he picks the right ones. (laughs) And he picks qualified people. That you pick and choose people of integrity and character 
honesty, and truthfulness. You know, just think about it. It's going to be no different when Jesus Christ chooses to fill those positions in his government. He's going to, he has a basis upon which he will make his choices. And he will use his own word, which we have right here, as the basis upon which he will choose you and I and how we have interacted with his word and obeyed him. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the Lord's choosing. Let's go back to Numbers now. Numbers chapter 16. And this this gets to be quite important as well here because now we're going to look at who God chooses and the choices that he made. Numbers 16 and verse verse 5. <clears throat> verse 5 says, And he spake unto Korah and to all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his. You remember the rebellion of Korah? And so now he's telling them, okay, you think certain men should be elevated to certain positions? Let's let's see who the Lord chooses tomorrow. And so he says, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him whom he hath chosen, will he cause to come near unto him. And so he instructed them what to do in preparation for the next day when God would appear before them and reveal to them just exactly who he had chosen. And if we had time to continue reading, it would be well worth our while to see what happened to those who rose up in rebellion against Moses. And in actuality, were rebelling against God's choice against God's chosen, and they refused him. And, of course, they were were dealt with very severely by Jehovah. Now, um, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. Remember, these are God's choices we're looking at here. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. Verse 6 says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people. You note, see, the preference there, the choice that God made in selecting Israel above all the other people that are upon the face of the earth. Then, in chapter 14 and verse 2, Chapter 14 and verse 2. And again, this is a reiteration of what he said earlier. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. So as again, comparison between people and a comparison between nations. And God chose this people to be a nation in preference over the other nations of the earth. Now, we might ask ourselves, well, why did he do that? Well, hopefully we'll find the answer to that as we continue looking at these passages. Why did God select or choose Israel? There's a reason. And Isaiah 44, 2, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read this one. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, 
which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Jeshurun is a euphemism for Israel. Whom I have chosen. Now, we could turn to many, many other verses in the, in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, to speak about God's choosing of Israel. The important thing I want us to dwell on and be thinking about is, why did God choose Israel? What was the purpose? But before we do that, I want us to see some other choices that God made. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And if you think ahead to 1 Samuel, you will probably already know what this choice has to do with. It has to do with the choosing of a king. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 24. And there it says, And Samuel said to all the people, See ye whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. And Israel was so happy. Israel was so proud because they had chosen a king. But remember, this was an actuality and rebellion against Jehovah. And you remember that when God, <coughs> when, excuse me, <coughs> when God told um Uh, Samuel, to anoint Saul. And he said, the people, how are they going to know? And they'll kill me. And he says, don't worry. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. They have rejected me from being king over Israel. And so they asked for a king for themselves. Now, we read a verse earlier in Samuel that says, You have chosen for yourselves a king. But we also see that God chose. The people chose Saul, and God chose Saul. The people chose to have a king, but God chose the man that was to sit on the throne. If we look at 2 Samuel, chapter 6 and verse 21. 2 Samuel, chapter 6 and verse 21. And there we find not only did God choose Saul, but he also chose David. Verse 21 says, And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house, that is before all your father's family, to appear or appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And so David did so. David recognized that his position as king came from God himself, that he was the one who made the choice. Then lastly, you don't have to turn here. Um, I'll just mention this one for sake of time. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 5, and this has to do with Solomon. And it says, And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. These positions of government and authority were God's choice. They weren't always man's choice. You remember that when they were looking for a king amongst the children of Jesse, they had their eyes fixed on whom those whom they thought would make the ideal king. And it certainly was not the little shepherd boy out in the field tending the flock. When God told him, remember, don't judge by the outward appearance. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. 
And that gives us a little clue to God's basis upon which he chooses. Upon which he selects, as a matter of preference, out of all the thousands of Israel, he picked a man by the name of David. And we find later that it describes him as a man after God's own heart. And so that tells us a little bit about what is involved in God's choosing and God's selection of someone to be close to him. You see, it's not just a matter of position in government. It's not just a matter of fulfilling a role because you've got all the duty, you got all the, you know, the, the, the qualifications to fulfill the duties, being a strong leader and, you know, and all these other things. But it's having a heart after God. And it's not also just holding a position. Because you remember then that those whom David chose to fulfill certain roles in his government were also, there were some who were all very close to David. They had a heart like David's, in other words. And he could trust them. He could share with them intimate things. And so he didn't just choose anybody. He didn't choose just anyone out of Israel who could manage the temple courts, who could manage the temple palace, who could be his treasurer, who could look all over the king's affairs, over all the nation. But it was someone who also had the spiritual capacity and the discernment and the passion of heart to serve in that position. And so David gathered those kinds of people around himself to be the leaders of Israel. And we find something else also in Scripture, and this is not that big of a distinction, but I do want to bring it out, and that is simply that the nation of it, well, it is a big distinction, I guess I should say in one respect. God also chose Jerusalem, a city. In Deuteronomy 12:5, it says, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes, why is it so important? To put his name there. So not only did he choose a, a, a nation, Not only did he have a land in mind for them in which they would dwell, but he also chose a specific location and a city in which he would place his name. And that city then would be identified with the God of Israel, and that being Jerusalem. Psalm 132.13 says, For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. Zechariah 1.17 says, Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. In other words, Jerusalem being uh, under, well, they weren't like, I was going to say under siege. They weren't, didn't have enemies surrounding them, maybe at that particular point in time. But the point being that was that Israel was sent off into exile and he says, I will yet choose Jerusalem. And of course, we would say today, he will yet choose Jerusalem. He has his hand on that city and he is going to accomplish his purpose no matter what men say. Now, I'm going to skip a whole bunch of things here. I want us to go to Daniel chapter 11. We'll look at this passage. Daniel chapter 11.
And this is a different word. So the king of the north shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities and the arms of the south shall not withstand neither his chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. In other words, this this king of the north, it says his chosen people. And it's a, like I said, it's a different word. It means he chose the best. He chose the choicest. And this gives us the idea of what God was talking about when Israel was looking on upon all the wrong men to be their king. Because they looked upon what they thought was the best, what they thought was the choicest of men. And yet God had another man in view all the time. A little shepherd boy. Jeremiah 48, 15. You don't need to turn there. I'll again just read this one for sake of time because it's the same word. And it says there, Moab is spoiled and gone up out of her cities and his chosen young men are gone down to the slaughter, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The chosen young men. And if we had time, we could go back to uh, Exodus where it talks about Pharaoh and his chosen captains. And it would be the same word we're looking at right here. In other words, when the nations around Israel chose their leaders, they chose what they thought was the best and the choicest of men based upon the way man judges. But God says, I choose according to a whole nother standard. I choose according to the heart, not by outward appearance. Now, several other passages, God shows grace for, or there's passages that talks about God choosing for all men's behalf. For individual people, like in Psalm 65, 4, he says, Blessed is the man thou choosest and causest to approach unto he, uh, to thee that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even thy holy temple. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. To do what? To dwell, he says, in thy courts. That is, in the courts of the temple. To be in that place where they would be near Jehovah. To experience fellowship with him. To experience the joy of being one of his chosen. And that's something, you know, we have to look forward to. Is that when God makes his choice, when he chooses and he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, be thou over such and such. That it is not just a call to a position of authority. But it's also a call to become up close to the Lord. To be near to Him. And some will be up close or up closer than others. Others will be farther away. And as we will see in a little bit, Others will be completely out of the picture altogether. Others will be cast away because they've rejected the Lord. They've refused him. They've turned away, excuse me, they've turned away from following after him. Give you another drink. Let me read another quotation or definition, part of this. It says, coordinate with the idea of God choosing Israel runs the complementary idea that Israel should prove faithful to the covenant. Now that's important. You see, choosing, selecting, is not just, not that it's not arbitrary. God chooses with a purpose, but he does not choose without regard to context. To be chosen by God means 
do we assume and take on the responsibility of obedience and faithfulness? And that's what they're saying here. The idea of God choosing Israel runs the complementary idea that Israel should prove faithful to the covenant. So you remember when they, when God called his people out of Israel, excuse me, out of Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness by the power of shed blood. And then they made a short journey up to Mount Sinai. And there Moses goes up to meet with God. And God, again, I'll use human terms here, God proposes a covenant with the people. God, Moses comes back down, presents the covenant to the people, and he, they said, all that Jehovah says, we will do. In other words, we agree. But it wasn't long. As a matter of fact, even right there while they were in the wilderness, you remember the ten times that they murmured against the Lord. And they fought against him and refused him. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, because they did, they were judged. You and I, you know, to fill in the verses that Paul gave us, they lost their privilege. They lost their place of service in the wilderness. And then in verse 12, Paul warns you and I. He says, you that are seeking after the crown, you that are seeking after the prize, beware lest you fall after the same manner of unbelief. And so there's not just God's choosing, not just the matter that God, oh, we could say, I, I'm one of the elect, God's chosen me. <clears throat> but how well have we how well have we chosen God? How well have we followed Him? And upon that, upon that, then you can go through the Old Testament and find many that the Lord chose. We know that Lord the Lord chose Abraham, He chose the nation of Israel, He chose Solomon. But notice what he says here was, well, let's see here. Back in Genesis, I think it's, wait a minute, Genesis, yeah, Abraham. One of the reasons it says there in verse 18, or excuse me, chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. You might want to turn to that one. <clears throat> And watch what it says there. It says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. That he may bring, may bring upon Abraham that which was spoken of him. What was that? The promise of the land. The promise that through his seed and his descendants, all the families of the earth should be blessed. And then also, you don't have to turn here now, in Exodus chapter 15, you remember, if you remember Exodus, Exodus 14, that's the concluding chapter giving us the history of Israel's departure from Egypt. In chapter 15, they're now on the other side. And this begins this song song of joy and praise and thanks to Jehovah for his deliverance of them from Pharaoh and from the bondage of Egypt. And when he gets to verse 26, Jehovah says to the nation, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and wilt do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. You see, it wasn't a, a, a was it a carte blanche ticket. 
you know, I've chosen you, and therefore it's, you know, it, it's a freebie. You can do anything you want to do now, Israel. I bought you just because I chose to. But no, rather, with it came that responsibility. With it came the matter of obedience to Jehovah, of obeying him. But with that then came the promises, the promise of what he would do for those who remained obedient to him. With Solomon, I won't give you all these. I mean, you can go right through and trace passage after passage in the Old Testament where God said, if this, then I will do this. He laid out a condition for his people and said, if you do this, I'll do this. In 1 Kings 9, 4, it says, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart, and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and to keep my statutes and my judgments, then, he says, I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel to the age. All the way to the Messianic age. Now, it didn't mean that Solomon was going to live that long. It just meant every line of kings... Following Solomon, if he would have proved himself faithful, that would have continued right on up to the Messianic age. As I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. Verse 6 says, But if ye shall turn from following me, you or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then... Then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them. And this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. Well, guess where Israel is today? Turn to Isaiah 66 and verse 4 and we'll close with this, this verse here. Isaiah 66 and verse 4. And of course, once again, let's remember Isaiah as a prophet writing to a nation who's been disobedient, not following the Lord, and he is urging them to repent, urging them to consider. And verse 4, he says, I also will choose their de delusions and will bring their fears upon them because when I called, None did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. Not only did God say he would choose their delusions, in other words, he would let them be fulfilled in Israel. What they chose, that's what they got. And he says, and also, and chose that in which I delighted not. And so we as God's people, we must be careful that we choose in those things that delight the Lord. Or the New Testament says those things that are well-pleasing unto him. It doesn't always have to be something, you know, written out, spelled out in the New Testament. In words that we could read and say, hey, you know, you ought to send a thank you card, show some gratitude. You just ought to do it. Because that card, then, is an expression of your heart. That's why my wife wrote that card. Because it was an expression of gratitude. And I, I really, I wish I could tell you, from my own words, what a joy it was for her to say Mrs. Higgs. That's who it was, Miss Higgs. Lucille Higgs. What a delight she was, and is yet today. And so we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for what you have done for us, but not, not just, you know, far more than what you've done for us. It's what you mean to us. And in, the, in this season of thanksgiving, and I call it a season just because we focus specifically upon it at this time of the year, but the characteristic of thankfulness and gratitude that ought to really just should, should surround our hearts 
It ought to ooze out of us. It ought to be something that people could very easily see within us. A, a person full of gratitude and thankfulness for what God has given them in life. Thankful for what the family that God has given us. Thankful above all, I think, for me, is his word. I'll tell you what, I've used to hear preachers of times past talk about, oh, the preciousness of God's word and what a joy it meant to their heart and their soul. Never has God's word meant so much to me in my life as it has when I began to understand the ultimate purpose for which God put us here. And that his great desire for you and his desire for me brings no greater joy than that when we stand before his son, Jesus Christ, that he could look upon you and say, well done. Well done. Can you fathom in the depths of your mind the Lord looking upon you? I don't know what words he's going to use. I don't know that there's any words in the New Testament given to us to compare or contrast with the words well done. All I read is the words depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't want to be counted amongst those. I'm going to tell you right now. I do not want to be counted amongst that class of people. I want the Lord's blessing. And I know you do too. And I say these things this morning as a matter of encouragement. That if we will do what God has called us to do and be what he wants us to be, then he's going to look upon us in a very well-pleasing manner. And he is going to say, well done on that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's given to us in such a manner that we trust in it, we rely on it, we believe it's the truth, that we believe it's the word from heaven that you have sent to us. And I pray, Father, that we would find great encouragement in these words and that we would so order our lives that we could know with confidence, as Paul did, as Peter did, that there is a crown waiting for us and that we will walk in accordance with that and that we truly, truly would love our brother. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.